Welcome to The Independent Minds, a series of conversations between Abbasida and people who think outside the box about how work works, with the aim of creating better workplace experiences for everyone. I'm your host, Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida. Today, our guest is John Skulamowski, who is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Armia Systems. Hello, John. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm very well. How are you? Well, I'm. You can probably tell I'm full of cold, but I'm really interested to hear what, how it is that you have thought outside the box about how the people that work in your organisation work. So, please, could we start by you telling us a bit about Armia Systems and the sort of work that you do? So, Armia Systems was established in 2003 by the CEO Aj Abraham. We do a couple of different things in the tech industry. So, we do IT support, it's a, uh, a third-party service, and you, you get your own person. We do 24-7 support. We manage servers primarily. That's that's the, the nuts and bolts part of the house. The part of the house that I'm mostly involved in is custom software development. So we build digital products. People come to me with unique ideas, and they say, John, I want you to build me a shoe website. We're going to trade shoes online. Um, I'm having a problem in real life. An online service would be perfect for this, but I don't know how to get that done, can you help me? And I say, yes. We apply the general resources of our company to build that project. And nowadays we have around, um, right around 300 staff members. So since 2003 to 2022, in just under 20 years, mm. you've gone from just the founder to about 300 people. Well, I didn't do it alone. That's quite a substantial business. For sure. I've actually been involved with Armia for 12 years. My partner, CEO, Aj Abraham, has a lot to do with it. Yes, I can imagine. But how do you do it? What makes, what's the secret of the success? How does, how do you bring it all together? This is a, a, a the question, right? Um, we have definitely struggled with this in our, in our history because at one time we had a different development cycle than we do now. So we used to do what's known as waterfall development. So it's basically like a one-way street. Requirements come in, we try to clarify them as much as we can, we do the development and then pray like hell that we got it right. We understood what the client wanted and that they're going to like it. This is very, very tricky to do. There's not a lot of like clarification. It just kind of like put it in the meat grinder and hopefully you get a hamburger at the, at the end. That's not always the way that it works. So sometimes we don't ask the right questions. Sometimes the clients don't communicate well. And this actually almost took us under. This was like eight to 10 years ago. Um, we haven't done it that long in some time. Um, we had to switch. We had no choice. And this was right around the time that Agile or Scrum development was kind of coming into the fold where you kind of just break up the work into chunks. And we do, now we have our own kind of flavor of Agile that we do, where it's, it's, it's month to month, basically. We assign the work on a monthly basis. We communicate with our clients 100%, stay in contact with them the entire time. So there's always clarification. And uh, it makes things a lot easier and quality is through the roof and client happiness is much, much easier. So it's... There were definitely some some difficult things, but um, we kind of operate in a in a very unique area too. Can we cover your approach to agile there? Because it sounds quite interesting. Is that you're talking about the key is the communication that you have with your clients and they have with you, and this involvement where almost like you start off with the idea and you work for a month on the idea and then almost like review where you are 
and then decide what work is going to be done next month. So you've learned something in the previous month, which infl influences and impacts what it is that you're going to be doing in the following month. Yes, yes, that's true. So we're not necessarily like retreading work that we had done in the previous month. We're always kind of moving in a, in a forward direction and building more and more just to keep the project efficient. But yes, we, we definitely try to take bite-sized parts of the project individually. And that's kind of like the the real core of what an agile development process is or a scrum where you stick to like a very strict two week sort of window where they work for two weeks and they check, then they work for two more weeks and they check or they write, we call them stories and they kind of arrange these cards in a way that makes sense for the development cycle. But what's important is that pre previously we weren't really working with our clients directly. Like I said, we were kind of just like taking in information building a thing and then just crossing our fingers. That is like a terrible way to do anything, any type of project, including software development. So now we have a dedicated project manager in India who works with our team in India, but communicates as the primary conduit to the client as their, their man, basically. Keeps the project organized. He holds weekly meetings. We do weekly reports to the client. And now instead of you know just having the client kind of trust us to do what we need to do, now they're involved. And like I said, we kind of operate in a unique way in this way, because when we deliver projects, when we take projects, they are mainly there to provide a different level of service than typical software development. So it's really quickly, like there's different types of ways that software works in the industry nowadays. There's stuff at the bottom basement. I call it the Walmart of, of software. And that's like a standard type of product that you would buy for like 25 bucks a month, like a Wix online site builder. If you want a shopping cart, you get Shopify. It's kind of all there. There's lots of documentation. They don't really care about you. It's like the GoDaddy. Like they just kind of like try to scoop up as many people as they can to their service. That's that's not what that what we do. On the other side of the coin, there is enterprise development, and that's where you get like body shops who just sell members to big corporations to do very dry, boring development, and it is very valuable, no question. It's basically like in IT consulting but it's not really that interesting. So we operate in a way that is kind of unique. You're sitting somewhere in the middle of, you know, I know I can go out and find a solution, buy it off the shelf, and I will have to adapt my business around that solution. So that's some of the names that you mentioned. Yes. If I had a lot more money, I could go off to one of the enterprise developers and they would start from scratch and, and build me something that I probably wouldn't understand, but there'd be lots of people working on it and maintaining it. You sit in that middle section and your main your main customers would be medium to smaller, big organizations then? Yes, yes. So I, the easiest way for me to explain this, and this is how I do it for new employees, is in America, when you want to buy cereal, you walk down the cereal aisle, the breakfast cereal aisle, and at the top of the cereal aisle is what I call old people cereal. Okay, it's very dry, bland, not very interesting. This is like what I tell my guys, and this is, I guess it's a bit rude, I guess, but corn Oat flakes. Uh, yeah, kind of corn flakesy, but it's like, it, it's designed to help you go to the bathroom in the morning. It, it does a job, something very specific. Okay. <laughs> people buy the cereal because they need a problem and they, they need a solution for that problem. But again, it's for, it's for old people, not interesting. Um, at the bottom of the shelf is cereal in a bag. And this is cereal that is cheap. This is actually where the corn flakes belong. It's just cheap. It's just, it's bite in bulk. <laughs> You just get a lot of it for a low price. It solves, again, solves that problem for the person who is buying a cereal. So our development is is special. We operate in an in a area where it's fun, it's flashy, 
we are the serial, I, I, what I say is, if you guys are familiar, is Apple Jacks. We're the Apple Jacks of software development because we taste good and there's a, there's a prize in it and it's fun to do and it solves that sort of problem. It provides a bit of excitement because the people who generally approach us are entrepreneurs. They're not like the Walgreens or the Cisco or, you know, these large enterprise companies who need to build a tool to maximize value, stockholder value. They're trying to like start a new business and they're trying to change their life in, in a very meaningful way. So that's the sort of stuff that we do. And so that's, it's work that takes technology to the next level in some ways, because someone, most of your customers are coming along with a new idea, but they need someone who can turn it, turn it into the, turn on the technology to make the, the idea a reality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, they need someone they can trust who can make the idea in their head into a software platform, an online software platform. So, you know, they, I, I know all sorts of pitches all over. Like we, like I said, we primarily were a startup. So the one that I usually use is, is the one where a guy approached me. He was, um, like gym shoes, high-end gym shoes, very pricey, hundreds of dollars for, you know, a good set of Jordans or special editions and things like that. And, and they, they swap, they, people trade them for other ones, kind of like baseball cards. I'm not very up on this niche, obviously, as you can tell, but this is, this is the problem. And he went and he made a deal on Craigslist and he went to McDonald's, but instead of swapping for like 800 bucks, he got jumped. And he's like, I don't want to get jumped anymore. Can we just do this online, please? Let's make a platform where people can list their shoes and then you can make a deal online and some people are verified and everything will work out. I said, yeah. So we, you know, we, we put our heads together. We come up with a platform that does that. And then we try to build a business out of it. Nice idea. Nice idea. One of the things you mentioned earlier, John, that you've got a project manager in India and your project managers in India, most of your employees are actually in India as well. But not only that, the people that you have working in the United States are all working remotely as well. So 100% of your workers work remotely, independently of the people that they work with, which is not something that you've been doing since lockdown. It's something that you've been doing for a long period of time, long before it was fashionable. That's true. That's true. Um, there, it's, it's, it's necessary, absolutely necessary for the type of development that we do and to get the most uh, bang for your buck on the development dollar. So, you know, people who are, like I mentioned, are, are building brand new businesses, they have limited funds for starting that business. They, the, the technical term, or should I say, the marketing term in the startup industry is runway, right? They need to get that plane off the runway and they only have so much of it and, and unless, before the plane crashes. So they, they need to get stuff, they need a, a quality of development, but on the cheap. And the only way to do that is to get it offshore. I, I say offshore is because it means something very specific versus outsourced. Outsource is the bad word. That's the dirty word. We don't say that because it usually means trash but we are elsewhere so offshore is my preferred word so although you're based in you're based in illinois in the middle of america you are an essentially an international organization because you have so many of your employees who have who work offshore in asia and they are providing a service at a competitive price which means that people who are on that runway of starting a business have access to greater expertise than if they were limited to using services which had to be paid for at a Western economy rate. Yeah, I mean, some of the ideas that people want to pursue, 
you know, there's this old stigma in the back of their head from, you know, the, the dot-com bubble. It's like, if you wanted to do development then and you want to do something good, it was going to be $100,000, $200,000 to build, quote, an app, yes. right? It's, it's like, that was the going rate. But if, if, they, if we could build that same project for 20, like, then that suddenly opens up a lot of doors for, you know, opportunity. The risk is so much lower. Yes, but you say the risk is lower, the people have the technical skills, but as someone who's spent a long time in helping managers develop and delivering management training, it's a lot easier to manage people when you can see them rather than when they're on the other side of the world and several time zones away. How do you make it work? Well, are you, are you referring to as far as managing the employees themselves or how we get the service to work to people in America? That's an interesting point. I suppose management is about making sure that the service works for the customer. So that is what the question is, I suppose. Management is, is not an, mm. an operation that exists in isolation of the end result, which is making the service work for the people in the United States. Yeah, because there, there are definitely accommodations that we have to make for, well, actually both ways. We have, to, we have to make accommodations for our staff. We also have to make accommodations on behalf of our staff for our market. Yeah, early on, I learned pretty quickly. And this, this happened, again, like 10 years ago when we changed our model to being more of a customer facing model. But it, like the first thing that I, I, I knew instantly was, you know, there is an element of like working from home or telephony where you have to, it's like uh, the old adage, like uh, clothes make the man, right? If you're gonna show up for a meeting, you're wearing a suit if you're taking this meeting seriously. You know, it's, if you if you come up in sweatpants, like it's, it's not really gonna be that productive of a meeting. And so in order to have a good quality meeting over the phone, we had to invest in like a lot of equipment. So we invested in a really high quality microphone, the best webcam I could get my hands on. Um, and then when we showed up for the meeting, we were in our boardroom. And so, you know, you're not having a one-to-one -one style Zoom meeting with our clients. We're having a, a video business meeting, you know? And that was something that was fairly unique at the time, uh, practically unnecessary for everybody else. Were your clients shocked to see digital people in suits, collars and ties? Uh, they definitely appreciated the fact that we were very attentive and that we had multiple people. Cause you know, if, if it's just a one-to-one -one style video, you have no idea how much work is going on behind the scenes. But if you see eight people around a boardroom table looking at you, like all staring at you with pens and paper in hand, like now it, it speaks differently to the style of meeting that we're about to have. You know, it speaks like we are a professional organization. So yeah, it's it that definitely mean it. But the, the microphones, like the the polycoms stuff that we got the phone, like for uh, speaker phones, like they were they were pricey, but they were worth it because the quality of the audio was so much better, and that was actually very important for quality communication. Because a lot of times it can be difficult to hear the Indian accent. I'm a, I'm a master at it now. I can I understand exactly what they're saying, but if you've not come into contact with it before, yeah, it can be it can be tricky, and that really goes away when you have a quality microphone. It's the same with any accent anywhere in the world. There's nothing wrong with any accent. It's just that if you are not familiar with it and the way in which people speak, it can take a little while to get used to it. So you get used to the way in which people talk to you. You, get, you present yourselves in ways which show that you are serious about the conversation which you are about to have and you focus and concentrate on what is being said to you. By the other people at the other end of the line perfectly stated and again that goes both ways because if you are trying to hear your customer if you're listening very intently and you're trying to hear requirements for a very delicate development project but it's coming through 
world's crappiest speaker and a, a you know in a dollar store like speakerphone like good luck good luck so yeah. it was really worth it to, to invest in some good quality equipment because this is your only conduit to speak to these people and vice versa so and it makes it made it a lot easier that was the first thing that we really had a breakthrough on it's like the service could work as long as we we invested in our staff and that in that equipment but as far as managing the clients i mean or managing our staff i i do a lot of video stand-up meetings we use google hangouts primarily we always have and it's it's it was a fine service it's very easy to start you know there's not a lot of like logistic involved you click one button and bam there then you're opening your meeting and you know, one of my guys speaks to me like every day we've spoken to a lot of things uh, uh about a lot of, uh, a lot of different topics he writes poetry spontaneously like i, I really try to have a, a good relationship with my staff and it's not easy to do it audio only video is a huge a huge difference yes what is the time difference between where you are in chicago illinois and where they are in india it's i try to just keep it round when i explain to people it's a 12-hour difference right you're talking to them uh during their working daytime hours in your nighttime hours and vice versa yeah it's, it's about literally the other side of the world they're working an ordinary day in daylight hours and you are communicating with them in your nighttime hours because of the 12 hour time difference yes yeah exactly right the the development staff generally works a regular say first shift where they you know they get up in the morning and they are at my home by dinner time um it's the project managers who stretch a little bit more because they need to speak with their clients um, so they will work a little bit later in the day and I will meet them generally. So I, I try to start meetings around 8 a.m. And so that'll be like 7.30 p.m. for okay. them. So it's, there's some flexibility in the hours, but we're accommodating the fact that we're in different parts of the world, the other side of the world. You're learning about their culture. You're learning about their accents and you are treating the relationship in a serious business way, but also in a friendly way and accommodating the the things that they want to share with you about themselves this is actually the opposite of our uh, what i what i understand to be a very standard indian management style so when i started taking over teams and i started being more getting more senior in this organization i did things that really pissed hr off and some of the things that i did were just natural to how we conduct business in the united states but one of my meetings, one of my, my stand-up meetings, is, it used to be called the complaints meeting. It was a bad news meeting. And I, I literally, I didn't want all the guys, because I had eight people at that time, I didn't want them all sitting at literally at 7.30 p.m. at the end of the day, giving me random nonsense updates, which is kind of the thing that you do in India to like show respect to your manager. Like, here, manager, here's what I've done this last week. Like, that bores me to tears. I cannot stand that, and I think it's useless because there's nothing I can do to help anybody with that information. But if it's literally only the bad news meeting, and we make a joke about it, if someone gives good news, they get like a buzzer. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me your complaints, the complaints meeting. And oh my God, HR had a, whole, a heart attack with this because they're like, <laughs> why, why is John encouraging people to you know complain about the company? It's like, no, 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 dude, that's not how any of this works. And I explained it to them, I don't think they still got it. So I had to change the name of the meeting. Now it's the quote considerations meeting and they bring me things to consider instead of complaints and that seemed to go over okay but you know what i mean it's like there there are quite a few challenges like that with working with a, a different culture it's an interesting thing because i think working with a different culture yes but also it is not normal not usual practice 
for managers in any organization anywhere in the world to say to people, come along and tell me what hasn't gone well today. Tell me what, what's gone wrong. That is not normal practice. And yet the way in which you explain it is that that is how you find out what is re what you need to do. We very often talk about managers um, being at the top of the pyramid and all these people working for them, but actually managers are there to work for the people who report to them and make sure that they have everything that they need to focus on doing a great job, remove the hassles. I often used to say that my best manager formed like a, an invisible wall around his, his team, his department, so that we didn't have right. to deal with any of the politics of the organization. We didn't have to deal with any of the arguments or discussions from senior managers. He was there to protect us, to provide a cocoon that enabled us to just get on and do the work that we were paid to do. That sounds to me like what it is that you are saying is like, tell me the things that you need me to do in order to make your life easier, to make it easier for you to do a good job. That is what you are saying. Mm. You need me in your, you need me in your HR team, you know, John, I wouldn't have complained <laughs> about what you've just done. I think it's great. Yeah. But you know, this, there's very much an authoritarian sort of like flavor to how this, this type of company is managed in India. Like I think it, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a holdover, not from the specific, from the Indian culture, but from the strictness of their school system. Like, you know, you don't talk back to the teacher sort of thing. You do your assignments on time because it's very, it's very rigorous, honestly, the school system in India, I think. Um, so it, you know, it's yes. and when they, when freshers quote, come out of school and into company, they still have that sort of mentality. Like you're the boss. I listen to my boss. I do whatever my boss says. And that actually sort of is, is also difficult to manage in a technology standpoint too, because they, they want, and there's no new employee who doesn't want to please their boss. Right. When you get your first job, I think everybody's like, yes, I'm going to do whatever he says and I'm going to, I'm going to nail it. Right. It doesn't always work out, but there's that, that general enthusiasm. And so in software development, that can be very, very dangerous because you need to hear no in order to manage how the project is managed, is, is, is moving. If they can't do something and they say yes, right? Huge problem. I agree with you. I think very often there is a mismatch between the great work that educators do to make sure that people leave with qualifications and basic skills, but they do have that sort of the reverence for the authority figure, the teacher. When people move into the workplace, one of the things that you need, especially when they're working in, in high tech, because the reverence for the manager is great when you're part of a team and it's almost like an industrial environment. The manager tells you what to do, you do it and everybody's happy. But when you're working in a high tech digital type environment, you might be part of a team, but you are very often working in isolation. You, and I, by that, I mean, you're working alone on your part of the project. And you're the person who is solely responsible for that project, that, uh, that aspect of the project. And if one person doesn't complete their project, their part of the project to the, um, the level of perfection of everything else, then no part of the project is perfect. And you need people to have the confidence and the vocabulary to voice exactly what you are saying they need to do, which is, you know, this isn't working. I'm having challenges with this. I'm not going to meet the deadline that you've set because of these various different issues. And the most important four-letter word anybody can ever use is help me. Mm. Yeah. I need help in order to be the perfect part of the team. Help me now. And that's where your definition of the manager, I need to know what those problems are. 
that's where that that comes in and so like yes you need to know you need to know now and there doesn't need to be any shame or fear in telling you the reality of the situation yeah and especially when the stakes are so high so obviously if you're working on a multi-million dollar project enterprise project for a big conglomerate obviously stakes are pretty high a lot of people's jobs are going to be affected all of this is centered around making sure that the project works for the client. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, I work for primarily consumers. Technically, it's B2B, but that the other B, their B, isn't yet started, right? We are, I'm, I'm the only really company, and they're coming to me for a service. And when I build their platform, I'm building them something brand new. But when I do, I'm working for a specific person or maybe a, a partnership. And so it's, it's like two people. It's very rare that I work for somebody who's already established with their business because generally that's, I think, because uh, software developers almost never want to take over a project already in progress because then all of a sudden all the problems become their problems. They're inheriting so much difficulty, but it's so important, but it's so important for me to make sure that as a lead project manager, we have no doubt in our minds that our capabilities are going to meet the needs of what the project requires. So if I hear no, or I, I have to hear no from my developers. If I hear yes or eh, maybe, that puts me in a very, very difficult position because there's no way that personally I would want to hear maybe if I'm going to invest $40,000 of, of my personal money that could otherwise be spent on, I don't know, 10 Disney vacations or a brand new car. It's like I, would, I cannot do that. So it's very important to have absolute trust with your development staff to say like, yes, we feel confident we can do this. Or to be honest, John, this part's going to be difficult. We can do it, but we just need some R&D to figure out how we would do it. But it's 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 very concerning. I take it super seriously because my clients trust me to, to be able to, to deliver. But it's the trust with you two have with your clients, but also the trust that you're, you have two-way with your employees. I call it goodwill. The key part to building that trust is to having that relationship where those people who work for you on the other side of the world believe that they can be honest with you and there won't be any repercussions. I'm very strict on that, on, on the integrity aspect of my relationship between Armia and its clients and between my relationship with my staff. What I, all my staff knows, both, both my teams, they both know honesty is the best policy. It's a cliche, but it's so easy to fall back on. So if there's ever a problem and people are always like, oh, I don't know if we should tell them, can we do it? I don't know, it's gonna make us look bad. Oh, no, 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 none of that. Honesty is the best policy because whatever comes out the other side of that, quote, bad conversation is the best possible outcome for that situation. Lying only makes it worse, right? Sutterfuge only makes it worse. It doesn't make anything better. So absolutely, honesty, 100%, no doubt. Definitely. I'm thinking about all of those managers where the people reporting to them have worked out that the way to get on, the way to be successful is to just say yes to what or agree with whatever the manager is saying, rather than giving the manager the information that enables them to be a great manager. I think it comes back to that service aspect of management. So yeah. I, I didn't invent this, obviously. I, I learned it um, like when I was a kid a long time ago. I was watching a documentary on, on Puff Daddy, Sean Combs. So when he started, he, his, his primary business when he was a kid is he, he was like the MC. So when he and his acts would go on, on to do their shows locally. Yep. Like he would be like the manager of the show or like the ringleader, the ringmaster, and say, oh, up next we got, oh, this guy is gonna be amazing. And he would hype the crowd up. But the way that he learned how to do that was he was, as an intern, he would go around and put cups of coffee in all of the, the big guys, his manager's hands. 
right? So he would, he learned how to help others and he just kept on helping other people straight into success, right? Straight into being a billionaire. So I was like, oh, well, if it worked for him, sounds pretty easy, actually. I'll give that a shot. And it, it just worked, right? And I, I keep on doing it, keep on making people's lives easier through, through my ability, right? What I can do. It is a good way of summing up a manager's role, make other people's lives easier. And regardless of where they are in the world, regardless of the job that they do, whether you're managing them downwards or upwards, focus on what you can do that will make their lives easier and you'll get a better level of performance from them. And as you say in that analogy, if you're helping them to be successful, success spreads and you will be successful as well. That's right. Put cups of coffee in people's hands. Help them do better work. Or if you're in the UK like me, a nice cup of Yorkshire <laughs> tea. Thank you very much. John, that has been really very, very interesting. But I think I have learned an awful lot. And I'm going to share um, what you have taught me um, with some of the people here as well. So thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to you for listening to The Independent Minds. I am Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and I have been having a conversation with the independent mind, John Skulamowski, who is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Armia Systems in Chicago, Illinois. You can find out more about both of us at the abbasida.co.uk website. There is a link in the description below. If you have liked this edition of The Independent Minds, please give it a like and download it. To make sure that you don't miss out on future editions, please subscribe. And remember, the aim of all the podcasts produced by Abbasida is not to tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.